Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Ann Basting, PhD, author, and founder of Time Slips. Her new book is Creative Care, a Revolutionary Approach to Dementia and Elder Care. Caring for the elderly during this pandemic has its own set of challenges. For those who are experiencing dementia and Alzheimer's, it's an especially difficult time for the elder and their loved ones. Many are isolated at home, in nursing homes, or segregated in elder care facilities, making the final years of life feel lonely and devoid of meaning. To alleviate elders' sense of aloneness, Dr. Basting has developed a radical approach engaging the elderly using imagination and creativity to help bridge the communications void. She founded the nonprofit Time Slips, which has online tools to help loved ones and others in elder care facilities during the pandemic. Her work has been featured in the PBS documentary, The Penelope Project, and she is the recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Anne. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Well, in the midst of this pandemic, I mean, your book is obviously very timely. And, and, you know, there always has been an issue as a social worker. I did a lot with uh, elderly patients in hospital, and uh, communication is, is a problem. And, of course, if you have deme- elderly patients who have dementia and Alzheimer's, it is. But even the challenges now with the pandemic are even more so. Because, and uh, so we want to talk about that as well. Uh, connecting with the elderly um, who and connecting with loved ones who are in isolated homes, nursing homes, and now we're particularly segregated. So how does this all fit together? I mean, it's a real challenge for um, our loved ones, the elderly, the relatives, friends. It seems almost an impossible task to be able to do this, to, to make these kinds of positive connections today in the pandemic. It's it's really true. I mean, it's a great big knot right now to try to unravel. I think the big shift underneath the communication that um, I've been uh, advocating for a long time is a shift away from the expectation and the pressure of memory, um, particularly with people with cognitive disabilities. You're, you're inviting the person or expecting the person to do something they can't do <laughs> or asking them to to speak in a way or to form thoughts in a way that they're going to just demonstrate their symptoms of, of the disease process that they have. And instead, shifting away from that pressure toward inviting expressions of imagination and creativity where people with dementia have strengths that remain, whether it's um, creating words, sounds, movement, uh, communicating using that emotional language of the arts. Um, And it's a place where caregivers can connect and make meaning together. Um, It's once you get that shift, it's really, really clear. You can feel the difference where you're joining the person rather than sort of um, combating and being in conflict with the person. Um, So, so and give us an example, like a specific example of the, of not doing it well, like trying to get somebody to remember something that obviously, or that they can't remember and the frustration that comes along with that and how, and the negative impact and then the positive, like specifically, what do you do? How can you make that connection? Yeah. 
Sure. So there's a really clear example that comes up a lot with people where someone with dementia will think, um, will, will misassociate you with, um, say, say you're the daughter and the person, your, your mother will say, will call you their mother instead. Um, and, and it can be jarring, right? Because yeah. you've been forgotten. It's very, it can be very painful. And instead, understanding that, try to go to the emotional component of that. And usually what people will do, their first response is, I'm not your mother. I'm your daughter. I was born, blah, you know, a, a recitation of fact. Um, and instead saying, tell me about your mother. Um, what was she like? Uh, did you, do you miss her? Um, finding out what is the emotion underneath that moment. Um, and walking right around the conflict and the loss in order to connect with the person uh, is a really simple way to do it. Another super simple thing is to consider everything around you as a prompt for exploration of imagination. One, a really simple, beautiful story I heard from a family caregiver um, was that they sat down at the um, kitchen table and they had a fruit bowl and they said, we're going to, let's write um, a poem about this fruit. <laughs> so tell me what, what smells as you associate with this. What does it feel like? What color is it? And then they just wrote down those observations and then they could share those with other people. They wrote, they created something together. They were, it was a generative creative moment that they could share together. Um, and that, that is something positive because I think in these situations we see just, we just see it as loss and, and challenge. Um, but there are ways that we can reframe it to, to show meaning and, and purpose. Yeah, I think maybe I have been doing, um, you know, having, um, well, your book and then what, reading your book and then also what you're telling me, I, I have a, a 97-year-old mother. Very, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, very, went to an Ivy League school, very smart. And her marriage, she's doesn't have dementia, but she's well. She has memory loss, but in terms of her ability to, uh, her reasoning and her intellect is still there. And mm-hmm. I'm sort of one of these people who <laughs> have. If she says something that's incorrect, I, I want to correct her, and I want to make sure that yeah. she has. And and that's my immediate response, which is not the right thing to do, as you're saying. That's not. Um, so it is kind of a, I think it can be a knee-jerk response in terms of... It's, a, it's an impulse, yeah. And it's I an impulse, it's, yeah. I, you know, I, I say it's a noble impulse because essentially what you're doing, and the, the metaphor I use is like rebuilding the bricks of the person's identity and capacity. So with every correction, you're building a new brick. Like, no, I'm not your mother, I'm your daughter. Brick number two, I was born in such and such a year. You're rebuilding them. For them, and it's and, and it's a noble impulse to do that. But what you end up with is this brick wall between you and the person. <laughs> so this, you're establishing the fact, and they can't, they don't have it. So you're right, and they're wrong. So walking around that wall to invite them to explore the world with you, um, you know, on the Time Slips website, we have hundreds of creative prompts for people and it's free and open access because we just believe there's an ocean of need out there and once you get the hang of this shift there's just we want to make sure people have supplies and inspiration and support as they as they go through this 
So there's a section in the Creativity Center on the site that has what we call beautiful questions, and that's a chapter in the book as well, where you learn to pose a question that opens exploration between you um, and, and has no right or wrong answer. So uh, a great question is, what do you treasure in your home and why? And that's especially good now because we, we all need to see our houses differently right now. <laughs> we're kind of stuck in them. And, and it helps you sort of reframe. Um, there's, there's probably 50 different uh, beautiful questions there. Um, and the book has that chapter has a lot of examples of how to use those. And we've heard from family caregivers that they're using them in their FaceTime calls with grandkids. Because now, other than the weather and COVID, there's not much, a lot, there's no sports to talk about. There's, there's not a lot going on. So having something to do and engage with each other as a positive, generative exchange is really helpful. Yeah, helpful, and we really do need that, as you say. I mean, I I'm, talk to my mother every day, and it's sort of, she said, well, I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> she said, not that I was going too many places before, but, and uh, I haven't gone anywhere either. It's true. You're talking about COVID, and you're talking about the weather. So this is really a great opportunity for everybody. Um, and also, I mean, this is something you can do even not, during a pandemic, obviously, but it's it's more challenging when you can't actually be in person, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it, yeah. and that everything yeah. is and being, go ahead. No, I was going to say we, that from the, that same grandmother who's isolated and wanting to connect with her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, she downloaded one of the prompt images from our website. There's uh, hundreds of images that you can use to generate stories and sample questions that are open, that open the creativity of the people you're playing with. Um, and she sent them in advance to the grandkids, and they, they created imagination-based stories together um, in, the, in the FaceTime and uh, at calls that they would do. Um, so, yeah, there's just lots and lots of, of support that you can get from the TimeSlips uh, Creativity Center. So, how did you get to this point? And I mean, this is these these are this is just a great concept, I, I guess. This this creative care. Uh, where did let's go back? Where did you start? I mean, um, I you know, and that that's a very everybody asked me because I started this work in my twenties, <laughs> and uh, it was not the usual thing for a young person to do. And people would kind of you know scratch their head and say, why are you working with older people doing this work using the arts? Um, and so the first section of the book is really the story of that evolution. And it, it comes from a, a comfort uh, of with older people in my life, older friends um, uh, and a grandmother. I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to it, but I was just really comfortable. And there was a moment when I went to visit her in a nursing home and she'd had a stroke um, and couldn't speak. And she was a very powerful woman and a very determined storyteller. And we ended up in about a 500-question exchange, um, yes or no questions, where at the end of it, without even – she couldn't speak. I She had told a story that sent me to go on a journey to find a relative I didn't know I had. Um, it was really pretty remarkable, and I came away from that moment realizing that 
it's really it's the the puzzle for the person uh, the younger person is to figure out how to release the story that everyone has a story that we have to figure out how to enable it to come out to to invite it into being and so a lot of these tools came from that um, and then I, I volunteered on a locked Alzheimer's unit just to see if these techniques would work in that situation which was really really dire and boy, the, the transformation of people who are, have their heads hung low and who are over-medicated. And when you stop and you really ask, what do you want to call this person? I just, I, the first session was just tearing a picture of, uh, uh, of the Marlboro man out of a magazine and saying, let's make up a story about him. That was the first prompt image I used. And they they told a 45-minute-long story where they named him Fred Astaire. He was married to Gina Autry. They, we sang uh, a song from the musical Oklahoma together. It was just a really incredible shift where they were given positive reinforcement about any expression they could make, and then they could build on those communication techniques that they were practicing. Otherwise, people with dementia start to shut down their communication out of fear of saying the wrong thing. When you talk about over-medicating, maybe you can address that, because I think that seems to be the tool uh, very often with uh, people who have dementia or Alzheimer's is to medicate, medicate, medicate. And you're saying that really has the opposite effect in terms of like what you're doing, helping them to open up, to talk, to communicate, to connect. Well, I think, I, you know, sometimes medication uh, and some of the antipsychotics that, that older people with dementia are prescribed, have they have a black box warning on them. So, that, you know, a side effect is potentially death. But they get prescribed off-label oftentimes to help ease a person into institutional living where the the institution takes priority over the individual. There's just, you know, and right now nursing homes are really suffering because they're chronically understaffed. That staff is underpaid because the, the homes themselves are underfunded. It's really this COVID moment is showing a lot of the cracks in our long-term care systems, and the fact that we have never really put together a, a plan for funding, properly funding long-term care, we're, we're seeing that revealed now as COVID is kind of really like a tsunami going through these long-term care communities. Um, but that's even happening in people's individual homes because we just lack the tools to help figure out how to moderate people's behavior um, and how to, how to support caregivers through that process. So uh, hopefully these tools can help reduce the conflict that can end up leading to over-medication um, and by forming positive, engaging relationships. And I think also a long-term goal that I have is, is easing some of the stigma and the fear around people with dementia. You know, just a year ago, I was doing a giant original production of a play inside of a rural nursing home in Kentucky that was inspired by the story of Peter Pan. And 400 people came to see that play. And I'll tell you, they never will see a nursing home the same way again. They were unafraid, engaging with residents. And that's the kind of shift we need as a culture 
in order to realize we can engage. There's no reason why people need to be isolated and in fear. Yeah. I, I think, well, the, what comes to mind is this, this uh, description of nursing homes, warehouses for the elderly. We've been, that's very often a term that's used that that's what, that what nursing homes are, warehouses for the elderly, which is obviously something that is the opposite of what you're talking about. And so they become scary places and they have become scary places. Do you think part of it also is because um, we live longer too? I mean, people, so that we haven't had a chance to adjust and adapt and to create the kinds of things, well, the creative care that you're talking about, because people are living into their 80s and 90s and even 100s now. So we we do have to make those changes, and they haven't happened overnight, but hopefully we are going in the right direction. Do you see that we are, or... I hope so. I hope so. I hope that this moment shows us that um, we we have to take some responsibility. We have to see what we've done with our long-term care, um, the lack of policies, and what we can do to try to keep people and support families at home as long as possible. Um, and to really, my goal is that we've what we have done has really been focused on caring for the body. Um, but there's so much we can do to bring meaningfulness into those last years, even when people are experiencing mid-stages to late stages of Alzheimer's. We can be part of making sure that our whole last part of our lives is meaningful, has opportunities for meaning-making, both for the older person and the caregivers, um, because we've, we've learned that negative internalizing negative views about aging, people live 7.5 years less if they internalize negative views about aging. So we are shortening our lives by allowing this stigma and fear and lack of proper treatment and meaninglessness to fester. If we tackle that, we can improve um, the living conditions of older people and our own longevity in the long run. Um, so I, I think there's a real benefit to getting these ideas out there and bringing the arts and culture section, sector, which has so much to offer um, the health and social services sector, much more integrated in the long run. That's, that's one of my hopeful things coming out of this COVID moment is the integration of meaning making and meaningfulness into uh, late life. What do we do? Because you mentioned trying to keep um, elderly people in their homes or in the homes with the family rather than going into a facility or an institution or a nursing home. Uh, how do you specifically, how can we do that? Uh, it's very difficult for families, especially families now who not necessarily during the pandemic, but you have two working parents or care, you know, or partners and, and, kids and financial issues and problems and how do you actually from a practical point of view do that uh, or how do you see that as being done being able to keep someone at home who does suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's and be able to connect in the ways you're talking about but then taking some of those other practical things that I just mentioned into consideration not always easy 
there's there's greater minds than mine who are tackling this um, <laughs> truly um, the, as whole like federal funding system. So there's a, a an organization called um, uh, Caring Across Generations uh, that's really advocating for um, a living wage uh, and funding family like home care. Um, to be able to support people at home as long as possible, because it's definitely less expensive to do. And that's where people want to be, right? They, they want to be in their own homes. So uh, I think the com- finding a way to support that financially as a nation is, especially as we face, you know, the increasing demographics of aging, um, we're looking at a, a tripling of the number of people with dementia in the next 20 years, um, which is uh quite a sobering thought. Uh, so there's, there's the possibility of doing that. There's um, what I see in the future that other countries have taken on is something called social prescribing, where um, essentially the health and social services sector tells people, look, there's all these resources in arts and culture, so you don't have to feel um, lonely or mean- that your life is meaningless. You can connect with other people you can do positive, you can learn, and you can grow all the way to the end, um, whether you're a person with memory loss and dementia or um, a, a healthy older person but just living alone or is- feeling isolated. Um, that's working in the U.K., Canada, Australia, places that um, have already taken it up and are supporting it. Uh, so it's gonna, I think it's coming here in baby steps, um, but that's one of my big hopes. So what do you think, there are differences, differences in, in the elderly, let's say, who live in cities or who live in the country or who live in suburbs. Do you see differences in terms of uh, what we've been talking about in terms of the care that they get or staying at home, not staying at home? Um, because those are very different set of circumstances. Very, uh, very different. And I, I think, you know, the, the crisis in care is a, is a unifying factor. Um, but one of the things, if you look at a map, it, the real crisis is rural. Uh, young people empty out of rural areas to, to go to where the jobs are. And they're, the aging, the population is aging dramatically in rural areas across the entire United States. Um, and figuring out how to support folks, um, you know, we've built a we've built a country around the automobile, and when you can't drive anymore, it's really really challenging. Um, and so people are so reluctant to give up that car, but it can be very very difficult um, to get anywhere, or to get. You know, we're realizing that now in COVID because we have to, we're we're setting up telephone reassurance systems to reach people. We're setting up meal delivery systems, um, so it's really challenging. That's one of the things I'm actually working on today, is figuring out. We did a project, and I, there's a chapter in the book on it called Islands of Milwaukee, where we infused creative engagement into telephone engagement, um, and also into um, meals on wheels delivery systems. So that's um, really promising right now, printing postcards of beautiful questions that can be delivered with the meal, um, and also uh, training the volunteers who are doing the phone calls to support people by asking a beautiful question as a way to have generative engagement. 
And then Time Slips has an 800 number for its beautiful questions. You can call and leave your answer with the city that you're in. And then we share it with a public radio um, group who create little sound collages from the responses and people can feel part of something bigger and meaningful. Oh, that we have one minute left. That I mean, you are doing such fascinating work. Just give us a couple websites <laughs> so, that we, so that we can connect. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. I think everything's on timeslips.org. Um, and the creative care book you can get at Amazon um, or at a, a great book, uh, a great website called bookshop.org, which supports independent books, bookstores. Um, so you can find the book to get all kinds of at home uh, ways to incorporate the, these techniques. Um, and then the website has all kinds of resources for people. That's fascinating. Great. Oh, just such great work you're doing. I love it. The, the title of the book, again, is Creative Care, a Revolutionary Approach to Dementia and Elder Care. And we've been talking to Ann Basting, PhD. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Lots of great information. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 